Hey there, Lions. Did you know that you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content by joining our paid support group, the Lions of Liberty Pride? For as little as $5 a month, you can help us grow this program to new heights. Learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hello, one and all out there in Liberty Land. Top of the morning to you. This is Brian McWilliams, as the lady said. And this is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 20, which means you can find that at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL20. Now, I'm going to have a guest on this show. I'm very excited, actually, to have him on here. It's going to be a, a relative and a friend of mine, a relative, uh, who was married in, in October. One Stephen Betts, who is the, uh, he's my brother-in-law. But interesting guy. Uh, great take, super intelligent, funny guy, and uh, oddly enough, he actually used to work and do a lot of um, a lot of casework because he's a lawyer with the police departments in the San Francisco Bay Area. So he's got an interesting take on what we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, which is getting into a ruling by the 11th uh, Circuit Court of Appeals about a police officer who came to a man's door, banged on it, didn't identify himself, and then shot the guy dead. So... Listen up, because that's going to be a little later in the show. And we'll start off today just hitting on a couple topics that I wanted to uh, to get into before I bring Stephen on. The first of which involves Vladimir Putin visiting with Chinese uh, President Xi Jinping. And there's not, you know, I, I don't even know much about what they talked about. All I know, because it's been blown up by the media, is that Putin sat down for some unknown reason at a grand piano that was in the meeting room and just started to tinkle out a tune. And it is like literally almost to the extent where he would have failed any recital performance. And, you know, I don't want to give the guy too much uh, shit for it because I do think it's funny. And yeah, why not? You know, tinkle around on the piano. What's the big deal? You know, you're Vlad Putin, whatever. But I do want to play a snippet of that taken that Sputnik shared on social media and what I have dubbed Putin on the Ritz. He's so talented, my Vladimir. I am bursting at the seams with pride. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that was half Arnold Schwarzenegger and half Russian accent. I need to practice these accents beforehand. Anyway, that sweet little Vladimir tinkling away. Um, moving on to the next thing on the agenda. So here in California, Governor Brown is mulling over the idea that's been put forth by all of these feminists and all of these social justice warriors and all these other people uh, that $50 million of our budget of my tax money should be going to fund Planned Parenthood. Now, let's remind ourselves what Planned Parenthood is, okay? Planned Parenthood is a nonprofit, which means that it's supposed to depend on charity, not coercive 
force and taking people's taxes without them having say in it. Because this is now something where, you know, if, if, if it gets put into place, I guarantee you it'll pass. There's no question about it to me because everything passes if it's a tax in California uh, and it's a bleeding heart liberal issue. But what I don't understand is how these people can rally behind it and be ignorant of the fact that there is a very sensitive topic around abortion. I mean, a, abortion is one of those issues where you're never going to meet. If you te- ask 10 people on the street, you're probably going to get five people that are pro, five people that are against it. And there's, and you know, I, I fall on the side of being very pro-choice. Um, a lot of people I know, especially in the libertarian community, are very much against that. They're they're very pro-life. And again, it comes down to when does when does uh, life begin? When do the rights begin? That sort of conversation, which is very difficult. But at the same time, for these people to say, "Oh, well, we've got to fund it, you know, fifty million dollars out of our budget," which, by the way, California's budget is always eternally, is it's always shit. It's always overextended because they have so many underfunded liabilities with all of the unions they made deals with that we're constantly in a horrible state of debt, despite being like an economy that's bigger than most countries. But it's always mismanaged. There's always these special interest groups that are sucking cash out of the pot. And now this is just another thing. So let's just throw 50 million more dollars at it. And the funniest thing to me was I was reading these tweets because it was like, you know, hashtag CA for Planned Parenthood or something like that. And this one woman, she is standing up there and she goes, Planned Parenthood should be uh, compensated for their services. That's like, well, okay. Um, if they want to be compensated for their services, then they're a business and people should pay the money. That's how this works. If you're a nonprofit, you don't get paid for your for your services. You have people donate charity and that's it's something that is left up to them to do on their own accord. It's not done by a taxation. And I've made this point before, but if all of these people who are going on social media and taking to the streets and putting on their, their stupid pink clothing would simply sit down and write a check for $50 to Planned Parenthood, you'd easily cover the gap that you're trying to fund with, with taxation by demanding that people take it out of their paychecks and, and put it, you know, put it towards this organization they may or may not support. So put your money where your mouth is. That's how charity works. You want this charity. You go ahead and you support it with your money. Don't force everybody else to, you goddamn hypocrites. All right, that's enough of my ranting alone for this episode, I think. What? Yes? Okay, let's bring in our guest. All right, Electric Liberty Landers, as I mentioned, I've got a very, very special guest on today's podcast. I'm excited to have him. He happens to be relation now. You can't say he's blood, but he is related to me by virtue of my lovely wife. People are still astounded I'm married. But yes, the great Stephen Betts, guys. Hey, Stephen. I'll give myself a round of applause. I'm yes. happy to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Please do. And Stephen, so Stephen's up in the uh, Northern California. He is a lawyer. So Rico will probably be very, very jealous that we've got another lawyer in the midst here at the Lions of Liberty <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but, you know, if he didn't commit suicide by now, eh, what's going to push him over the edge, right? I don't know. <laughs> You'd think we would have done it. But anyway, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. So to start off, I, because I think it's interesting. I want to give people a little bit of backstory. So Sandy, my wife Sandy, her family is uh, very conservative. I would say conservative slash libertarian on the mother's side. Over and they're all in uh, in uh, Minnesota slash uh, North Dakota, uh, right or South Dakota, South Dakota. Uh, Minnesota North Dakota border. North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> my geography. It's all the same. It's all on the point. Dakotas. 
That's so great. Yeah, Fargo, North Dakota. They're by Fargo. I always get a mix up. So yeah, so they're all very uh, conservative bent, I would say, uh, but more on the libertarian side of things. And then, of course, but her father's side, who her father's right here in L.A., and uh, and he's more of the liberal bent, but very intelligent guy, also a lawyer, right, runs in the family. Um, so it's interesting, though, to see, uh, you know, talking to Stephen back when we were, you know, I was first dating Sandy and you know, we were you know, getting to know each other more. Uh, you know, you're very, I'd say you, you weren't very liberal, but you had a liberal streak, but you were very willing to have a discourse about it, uh, which was always, uh, you know, fantastic. So I'm wondering... Now that you are a person that listens to the Lions of Liberty podcast and is a part and is a part of our forum, I'm curious where you are now. I would probably now uh, consider myself a conservative Democrat, which is probably something that is an a, a endangered or extinct species. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it reminds me of Robin Kerner. If you're familiar with him, he is the blue or the uh, uh, God, what are they called? The blue, the blue dog, blue dog, blue dog Democrats. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but but just I guess just generally because on things like you know as you said I'm I'm a lawyer and when it comes to legal issues I tend to be although I don't really see it as a conservative versus liberal issue but it tends to fall that way uh, mm-hmm. the way that I look at judicial philosophy and wow I think the law should be interpreted tends to be much more on the right as far as originalism and textualism versus you know, like living document theory, which tends to be more associated with, uh, with liberals. So, you know, I, on that, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I tend to be very conservative. So that's I think, a, so I, yeah. just a quick question on that then. So, uh, Neil Gorsuch, the new Supreme court nominee, where do you fall on him? I love him. <laughs> I, I figured you might. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, he's, He's a conservative, very conservative justice. As far as um, he's he's a you know, a Scalia disciple. He's a he's an originalist. He's a textualist. And and, and for people who aren't really uh, up to date on that, it's basically that's a philosophy that when you're trying to interpret something that is vague in the law, you try to apply the meaning that it had when the law was passed. So when it's when it's constitutional law, unless it was one of the amendments, you try to find the meaning that it had when the people who passed it what they thought it meant. Versus, um, you more liberal thinkers tend to try to, um, if they call it legal pragmatism, where you're trying to think, well, you know, you can't always have the same you know, stodgy old meanings. You try to apply new meanings to it, but I think that when it comes to law, um, that that can be a slippery slope in the sense that um, it's great when that falls on the side that when, when the result is something you like, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but when it's not, it's not what you want. And I think that when, you know, you might not always agree with the original intent is of a, of a law or trying to interpret something, but at least everybody's playing the same game when you're, when, when you, when you approach it that way. And so uh, I'm a big fan of Gorsuch because of that. Um, and I think he's a good jurist. So I think it's probably, I know we'll probably talk about Trump a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably the only good thing uh, that Trump has been able to do in his presidency <laughs> so far. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gorsuch, I, I agree. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gorsuch. I like originalists because it, it always bugs me when people say, well, you know, we should we should reexamine the Constitution, make it this living document and and say, well, you know, what's what, well, that, those those principles don't apply now because of x y and z but 
when it's the intent of the law, when it's the intent of the words that were written, you say like, you know, when it gets down to Second Amendment rights or Fourth Amendment rights and, you know, search and seizure and the and the right to bear arms and those type of things, you say, well, the intent of that wasn't, you know, yet people say, well, well, people don't have muskets anymore. You're like, no, people have much worse weapons now, which is all the more reason you should be able to defend yourself with said weapons, you know, or search and seizure. You know, they argue all these different interpretations right. of the law and you go, well, the intent of the law was just to protect you. It was written to protect the citizens. So so if you're arguing anything other than that, I don't see how it can really apply. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that kind of was with, um, well, that, that, that argument is always, you, you do hear that argument with the second amendment often about, well, you know, it's outdated because now we have such more high powered weapons and, and more dangerous weapons. But, um, you know, obviously there's, the, these are broad principles. These are not, sp- there's nothing very specific about it, right? You know, if, if we're going to compare it to the first amendment, you know, what, can we only, can you only have discourse in a town forum and not over Twitter? I mean, of right, course, right. you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't apply at all. So that seems like a very bizarre, but you do see that argument come up often, but it's, it's silly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned the First Amendment. I mean, you and I, we, we'll go back and forth. So Stephen and I will text and you know, talk about on, on Facebook and stuff like that. Um, but, it, you know, one of our topics of conversation is often um, the social justice warriors and their interpretations of, you know, what they what are they going to get upset about this week type of thing. And, you know, when you talk about First Amendment, it just, you know, the whole concept, and this is just going off on a tangent we didn't discuss before the show, but eh, such is life. But, um, you know, I was, I was talking about on my last show how, you know, hate speech and I was re- equating hate speech to Orwell in 1984 and this, you know, the revisionist uh, language they were using and trying to simplify everything down and eliminate certain words and control people's speech, which essentially is controlling thought. I mean, if you extend it into if you extend that into how it actually impacts the world, if you limit the what people can say or how they can express themselves, you're limiting the way they can think in a certain manner. And. When it comes to First Amendment rights, I, I just I look at what's happening throughout the world. I look at you know these people that are standing up and like you went to UC Santa. I'm going to get this wrong. Santa Barbara. I went to Santa Cruz. I went to Santa the hippie Cruz. school. Hippie, yeah. yeah, there you go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I knew it was one of the UCS <laughs> something. So yeah, you went to UC Santa Cruz, and you know you don't you haven't had it happen there as it happened in, in Berkeley. But I mean. Where do you fall in this? Seeing this happen, seeing these these schools like Berkeley was this bastion of free speech, like they were known for the free speech movement, and then you see them standing up and and by you know rioting and beating people and, and going against anybody on the campus that doesn't have these liberal values. I mean, what do you think of this? What's happening today? I, I think it's uh well, I, I think we you know what's really strange about this is even you know mentioning where you know Santa Cruz and I went there. You know, obviously, that's a very very progressive school. I mean, I don't think they're or five Republicans in the entire campus. And, uh, you know, but I don't, and you know, when I went there, I'm, I'm, I'm 32 years old. That When I went there, it was during the height of the Iraq war. And that was a big issue on campus. And I think all of the campus activism was focused on that issue. But I don't recall there ever being stuff uh, like you see today about shutting people down. And I, I remember um, Victor Davis Hanson, he's a writer for National Review. He's an extremely conservative historian. He came and gave a speech. I remember at, at like one of our big lecture halls, and I remember going to it and watching it. And it was it was nothing. There was there was no there was no protests. There was no outrage about it. It was just you know it's kind of what I suggest for people now. If someone's speaking and you don't really care for it, just ignore him. And they're probably if they're a marginalized 
uh, and reactionary belief like some of these knuckleheads have who are trying to go to response, mm-hmm. people will just ignore them. And, and I think it'll just move on and nobody will care. But when you when you give them a – people call it deplatforming, right? You know, they, like they want to try to take away the – you have a right to speak, but I have a right to kind of obstruct it if I want. But I think what you're doing is you're you're platforming. Yeah, you, if you're yeah. like someone like Milo Yiannopoulos, I knew who he was because I listened to a bunch of podcasts and I try to listen to all the different points of view and uh, and I knew who he was just because I spent too much time on the internet. But I, I think before <laughs> before his that Berkeley thing, and then two weeks later when when that. Uh, when the whole story broke about him and, and, and saying all the stuff about the child sex or whatever he said that kind oh, of that was all and, and his career anyway sorry continue but, your point. But, yeah but, but, but before that happened i think it's your average person had no idea who this guy was and he no. was kind of like an ann coulter type who's tried to say incendiary things all the time to get people riled up and um until that until the berkeley thing i i, I he was certainly not a household name i, I think internet dorks knew who he was but other than that, I don't really think he was that big of a deal. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you he know? definitely wasn't that. He wasn't as well known before the Berkeley thing. But I mean, to your point, though, or uh, to your point, I guess, but as you mentioned, but it did, you know, this whole child molesting thing, which just to, to clarify that, if people don't know. Um, so I, like I said, I said that was total bullshit. And the reason I say that is because knowing a lot of, and I'm sure, you know, as you probably know, you live in San Francisco. So I'm sure you know a lot of gay people. You're friends with a lot of gay people. I have a ton of gay family, a ton of gay friends. So when he, what Milo was saying essentially was that people in the gay community, like there's, there is a, a relationship that exists and it is very true to life wherein younger men will be, it might be ostracized from their friends or they might be scared to talk about their sexuality because of uh, social pressures or different pressures that exist in the world. And they'll be coming out as young gay men and they will be mentored in a sense by older men. And where he got in trouble as I guess he was saying, well, I don't know what, you know, he didn't want to say that you could put a certain age on when that happens, but he wasn't advocating for people to go out and just, you know, bang little kids and bang little boys. Yeah, and yeah. that's what it got blown up into, which was, and that in itself sickens me though, because people made it into this witch hunt because they wanted to silence his speech. And by virtue of that, you know, all of these comments got taken out of context and blown up. And especially, it's especially shameful when you look at it and say, this is, I mean, conservatives were doing it as well, but the liberal media gleefully jumped on it. And you say, as the liberal media uh, side of things, shouldn't you be more understanding? But, yeah, of course, they weren't because they didn't like what he had to say on the other side. When he wasn't talking about gay sex, they didn't like it. Right. So what is what is he doing these days? Is he making a comeback or something? He is. Yeah, he's going on a speaking tour. Uh, he's going to colleges. I, I, And I projected with my PR hat on that, in truth, all of this backlash— and like you said, giving him a platform blew him up. I said, you know, even though he got he got all this stuff and, and you know, his he got his book deal from Simon and Schuster canceled. Well, he's got another book deal because as somebody would be insane not to jump on it because people will read yeah. it just to see what he has to say now. And he's going on a, on a speaking tour. He's got another multimedia platform he's going to launch because he resigned from Breitbart. But I think he's in a better position now to succeed because of everything that's happened. You know, despite the fact that there were some detractors, I think he's going to take off and just be. Yeah, you know, completely fine. I'd, I'd probably change places with him in a second and make a lot of money. <laughs> well, yeah. you just got to start saying crazy stuff like him and Ann. And I'm trying. There. Have you listened to this podcast? <laughs> God, I try every damn day. <laughs> but anyhow, so here's like I would ask you one more question. 
Uh, and then I'll, then we'll get into this, uh, this case with the 11th, uh, Circuit Court of Appeals about gun rights and, and, well, not even, not even gun rights. Well, we'll get into it in a minute. But I am curious because, like I said, you know, I, I see you get more involved and more interactive with, uh, with the forum and obviously this in the podcast. So I'm wondering, is, have the, has the insidious nature of libertarianism, uh, started to worm its way into your psyche? <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit, sure. I mean, I think um, one thing that I've probably changed a lot from maybe over the past, the pa- over the course of the past year, is I've become more um, more of a localist, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'm not um, I'm not huge on uh, you know a feder- large federal programs um, that uh, you know like I, I'm I'm kind of curious to see where, for example, where the AHCA will go. Yeah. And how I'll change the ACA. Um, but I think where I would, because I think that generally, you know, with any kind of program, any kind of federal, any kind of government, it, when the closer it is to the community that it affects, the more accountable it is mm-hmm. and the more the more efficient it can be to the extent it can be. So um, if it can be done on a local level, great. If it can be done on a state level, great. Um, and I think that it, it, there's other questions too about what is the fundamental, what are the, what's the proper role of, of, of the federal government? And of course, as I'm sure you know, being on, uh, being a libertarian and being involved in the movement, that that role has expanded dramatically throughout yeah. the course of human history or human <laughs> American history. American history uh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, that was a little broad, but yeah, American <laughs> history. So, um, you know, so for example, like I'm not, I, I'm kind of watching this healthcare thing unfold and see where that goes, and I'm not too uh, hysterical about it. I think, but in contrast, though, um, you know, I think California is trying to pass a, a you know a broad uh, healthcare act on the state level, and I'm more optimistic. To just see where that goes and see if it works out, and if it's a disaster, then we can change it. But I think on the state level, at least, if something's a disaster, it's probably easier to change than when something was a federal law. You can't fix it. I mean, we see that with Social Security. That is, it's becoming this unfunded liability that because it's tied to your paycheck, we can't we can't change it. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> so it's just it's becoming this exactly thing, right. right. No, you make it a great point. And, I, and I'm you know I'm praying that the the California universal health care bill that they're trying to push through does not pass, of course, but. Uh, but it is true. You can do a lot more to change it. You can bring it back and, and rein it in and say, ah, this is terrible. Now, granted, knowing California, whatever passes is not going to be repealed. Uh, that I can yeah. guarantee. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, just like you said, once, once something on any, basically anything that the government does, it's so hard to get it back. Like, I mean, you look at things like the Patriot Act, which we would all think by this point, we would have seen how dangerous that was and how much, you know, like during Obama's administration, you had all the spying with the NSA and all this crazy overreach into our personal lives, violating so many of the statutes of the Constitution. And yet it's still out there like the Patriot Act, quote unquote, died and something exactly the same replaced it because once it's out there, it's out there and trying to get that back is nigh on impossible. So, yeah, right, it's yeah. one more reason to say, like, look, try to do things as locally as possible because, yeah, I mean, trying to change trying to anything on the federal level is just it takes years. Uh, I mean, look, at the GOP controls. They control the House and the Senate right now. And they got uh, goofball Trump in in office and they still can't get rid of Obamacare like the, like the AHCA that's going to pass I, it, to me is doing almost nothing. Like, I mean, it's just it's yeah. making it worse in, in if you arguably because they're rolling back the mandatory uh, signups. So what's going to pay for all the people that were causing the price increase to go up in the first place? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I think the um, some of the 
you know, it, it's funny seeing the, the the one things that I thought that they that they're approaching that I think are are, are good in that bill are actually the thing that's probably gotten the most um, hysterical and nonsensical response would be the, the rolling back on the pre-existing condition mandate and the required benefits mandates mm-hmm. for the you know what must be covered under the pro, right. uh, under yeah, the, yeah. Uh, on the exchanges um, because that that of course is something that you know this. You know, healthcare is something that if you there are always winners and there are, and there are always losers because it's a it's a finite scarce resource so you can't just legislate um, <laughs> you can't just legislate away um, the cost of it and just magically there'll be more of it so obviously when it comes to the pre-existing condition issue and you know what's required to be within um, you know, any healthcare bill. It's either you know this this cost is going to either rise for the people who have the pre-existing conditions, the people who need healthcare most, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have to spread it across everybody else, or you're going to try to put those costs on the people who actually need it the most. So really, the question is, what what do you think is the most fair thing to do? Um, and we can't even talk about that. <laughs> no, I know exactly. Yeah, it's, know, it's, it gets it's, too emotional. People go, well, I, guess, yeah. I, I just love. Yeah, they immediately go to. So you just want to let people die then? Like, well, I mean. I don't want them to die, but at the same yeah. time, I don't want my health care to go up by, you know, 200% right. to keep them alive. Because you know what? I don't know that guy. It's not my problem. <laughs> I the, mean, or, it sounds the, terrible to say, but. <laughs> or, well, the, the Jimmy Kimmel thing, did you see that? It kind of blew up last week. Oh, you know, yeah. Sad story about his, his son. But I mean, I was watching and I thought, I call me naive, but I don't think, I don't think that even if you some parents had a child with a heart defect like that, I don't think that the hospital would ever just let it die. No, they don't. I think that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they I absolutely think that, don't. You know, <laughs> You're just in. I mean, look, you go into debt, and debt is debt's. I mean, look, debt's horrible. Debt is a is definitely a, a killer of of uh, freedoms in a sense because it limits what you can, can and can't do. But yeah, your your child's not going to die. They can't. I and mean, hospitals can't turn away people. If you if you ran in there with any sort of affliction, they can't turn you away. Um, but you're going to have. A large amount of debt. And what, what bugs me though is that people, they, they seem to think that, okay, well, well, you know, people can't afford healthcare. So we have to have the government provide it. But all that happens then is that healthcare costs continue to increase. I mean, I, I compare it to like, if you look at anything else in the marketplace that you say, okay, what's government not involved in? And you look across the free market and everything's gotten cheaper. You know, cell phones cheaper, uh, cars cheaper, TVs like maybe your cars have gotten cheaper, but it's gotten infinitely better. Like you can watch TV in your car now and it talks to you. But, you know, it's all these advances where this car would have cost you one hundred thousand dollars 10 years ago. Now you get it for 15 grand and, it you know, it's off the the back of the the key a lot. And healthcare (laughs) is the one thing which it hasn't it's only gotten more expensive the more government's gotten involved the more expensive it's gotten. And the same thing if you look at, uh, at education as well. Because you have all these programs that say yeah. the government's go, we're going to go and we're going to pay for your tuition for here and we're going to support it here. And all that the colleges do, just like all the healthcare companies do, they go, okay, well, the government's going to pay for all this and we're covered here, so we'll just charge more for it. I mean, yeah. education is a prime example of that. Every time, it's, it's actually quantifiable. You look at the amount of government backing that goes into all these these educational programs and all these uh, secondary schools and colleges, they raise the tuitions accordingly. <laughs> right, yeah. Why, or you know, you're, 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 you create more demand for a product, it's going to become more expensive. Right. They, so more, more demand, is, and they know they have uh, they have big daddy government backing them up, so they know that the loans aren't going to fall through. You know, they've got the government paying for it. So it's just, yeah. it's all just insanity, man. I, I, it just, 
it frustrates me because and and like your your point earlier about the fact that once these things are in play, they're hard to roll back is now people are to the point where nobody knows the world before the massive insurance companies were in play. So they can't think of a world where, you know, you just go to a doctor and, you know, you might have insurance, but you have insurance through you have a catastrophic insurance or you have insurance through mm-hmm. a, a fraternal organization or something like that that covers you if something really bad happens. But for the most part. You don't have insurance that mandates you have all these different coverages. You go to the doctor and you pay for a service and it costs 150 bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think I was listening to uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Mark's, Mark Clare's uh, podcast. Yeah, with the good doctor uh, from last Monday. Yeah, right. And he made a good point about, um, like I said, I I like how they're taking away the mandatory uh, benefit packages. So before before he was able to buy in the on a, in, in, in the individual market a you know a catastrophic insurance plan and if mm-hmm. we're if you're 25 years old and you don't have any chronic health problems it's probably a great thing for you uh, for for as an individual consumer but uh, when you have to buy something that has all these requirements it's like you know if you drive a pinto and you have <laughs> right. to buy a tesla's insurance you know it's kind of <laughs> yeah exactly you know, that's a problem so. <laughs> exactly and that's exactly what's happening and, and from that same episode and and uh and again i'll link to this guys in the show notes lionsofliberty.com forward slash ell20 um but they also give an example you know the woman on the the show and i'm blanking on her name right now because i'm a terrible person but um she she she's part of the surgery center where they do surgeries non-insurance you go in you get your tonsils removed it's twenty five hundred dollars and if you did that through insurance you're paying like i mean i had back surgery uh, a year and a half ago and now back surgery is not the same as tonsil surgery but it was a pretty straightforward surgery at an excellent doctor. It took an hour and a half, something like that, you know, in and out, just cut away some of the, the cartilage and sew me up. But it was, I mean, something like 15 grand or 20 grand. And then my portion of that bill was still five or 6,000. And, you know, you look at, you say, okay, well, if you have these non-insurance options where they don't have to do all this other stuff, it's not involved in the system, you could probably do it much cheaper because it really was a fairly straightforward operation. So if she's doing this kind of thing, it's clear that the, the market can can provide these services and that the involvement of the government, the involvement of the insurance companies has not made things better. It's just complicated the issue and made things more expensive. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Here's the thing. This is it's, this is one of the this is the one of the he got so much flack for this comment, but um, it's probably I think one of the smartest things that our president has said uh, when he said no one knew healthcare could be so complicated or whatever. I think I'm yeah. paraphrasing. I think yeah. he's there. And um, that that's just kind of the funny fiction about this. I love going online and watching people who I read. You say I read the news every day. I try to educate myself on yeah. every subject that I ever talk about but i know i'm not an expert on 90 percent of them or what i would consider an expert 90 percent of them that's amazing social but, media you think everybody's an expert uh, but yeah then I, <laughs> I read twitter and i read reddit and i read my friends on facebook and i'm like man all these people seem to really know a lot about healthcare, <laughs> and i don't know what i'm talking about you know <laughs> well dude, <laughs> so <I'm interested. laughs> it's like i went off on uh this and i think you were not you were commenting on uh, maybe on this post on facebook but i just posted the simple thing about everybody was driving me insane because they're posting oh this 24 million people just lost health care oh, and i was like, 
you're going. Yeah. Oh God, it's like no, none of none of that's true. Like everybody is reposting it authoritatively, and I was like, you you people have no. You didn't even read what you're talking about. No, you don't know anything that you're talking. You're just parroting this one phrase, and it's not even rooted in truth. It's like it's. I mean. Uh, yeah, listen to the last episode uh, if you want to know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go into it here with Stephen waste his time. But um, yeah, man, it's so frustrating. It's amazing how with more access to information, it, people we we all are more easily misled by silly facts or mis you know, misstatements of totally. uh, of truth. You know, it's, well, it's, you know what it is. It's there's so much information out there, and there's so many outlets now that people just you know it's the confirmation bias where you just go out and you can find what you're looking for immediately, and you're fed that by Google because of the algorithms that show you stuff that's more in li in line with what you've already looked for. Facebook, which also does the same. So you know you don't even have to work for it, and there's no there, like. There's no, uh, we used to have four news house, you know, outlets back in the 1970s and they told you the news and they tried to do a good job of being fairly, um, impartial. And now it's like, you know, you've got all these news sources that just, they feed you exactly what you want to hear. And you've got, and you know, people get their news from social media. Uh, yeah. I get a lot of my news from social media. Thank God I've got a friend who sends us about 40 news links named Howie Snowden uh, from the podcast. <laughs> he says about 40 news links every day from everywhere. So that keeps us keeps us fairly well informed. But yeah, you go on there and people just, you know, you made a very good point that the more the more that is out there and available to us, uh, the easier it is to custom cherry pick the news that agrees with your philosophy. Yeah. And um yeah, you're sifting through all this stuff, and you never seem to know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it. You can. I mean, you can do it. You just have to. It's it is a time consuming uh, endeavor that you know. Uh, uh, unless you're, um, you got to. You know, I can't, I can't imagine. Like, I don't have kids, so I can't imagine if I had kids and I had you know one free hour a day. Right, yeah. You know, you're getting uh, puked to, on. Day of pukes running down your neck, and you're trying to figure out what what news outlets actually giving you the straight the straight deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is this Slate article nonsense? Oh, well, of course it is. <laughs> I'll say Slate. You know, I can I can read Slate. I think they're okay sometimes. I will say though, Vox and uh, Salon. I can't read ever. Never can't read. I, Slate. At least Slate. Slate it comes to you and the and and they present themselves as a progressive viewpoint, so you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah. What I the, yeah. Vox is very um. They try to present all their information as if it's just this is just the straight dope, you yeah, know, and yeah. it's it's not. It's a very progressive, slanted, <laughs> uh, you know, publication. Yeah. And I think it's owned by the guy who runs Daily Coves. Oh, you know, Daily what? you Coffs. might be right. Is yeah, it yeah. Uh, Eli something or uh... anyway? Yeah, you might be right. And it's yeah, it's, yeah it's people. Anytime somebody <laughs> posts like that, you're in an argument with somebody, and they're like, mm, "Well, I'll, let me show you this," and they post a box article. I'm like, "You've just made your position worse." Yeah, you know? during the, during the election, there was always someone who dropped a Vox truth bomb. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like Huffington Post during the election. They had you know Huffington Post is a respected news organization people view it as a source of actual news and they who, view it as who, an impartial news source and who respects at, mass news well i don't respect huffington post <laughs> news but uh, let's say liberals respect huffington post news as a valid news source and they would post you know like you read any article on trump and you get to the bottom of it and there was a paragraph disclaimer that said and i'm not making this up this is not hyperbole it said trump is a lying misogynistic a uh, piece of shit, like literally, like that's what it said at the bottom of the article. So they wrote this whole piece, which 
was written as a news article. And then at the bottom, it's like, by the way, he's a huge piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) It was an editor's note. Like, and you go, okay, well, clearly people are getting unbiased news from this news source. But people kept posting the articles anyway. These are then these are adults. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, use critical thinking. Okay. All right. Enough. We've been shooting this shit for uh, for thirty minutes. So let's get move on to the actual topics here. Um, okay. So let's talk about uh, this Court of Appeals, the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And I'd send you this article because I wanted to get your take on it uh, as a lawyer. Yeah. Because it was it, it actually fascinated and disgusted me. And essentially, what happened in this case was that the Eleventh Circuit Court found that an officer. Uh, what happened in this case is that an officer came to somebody's house in the middle of the night as they want to do with the the drug war ongoing as it is. So at 1.30 in the morning, this guy who, hey, may or may not have been dealing drugs, but he's up playing video games with his girlfriend. Somebody's banging on the door. Bang, 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 real hard. So it's 1.30 in the morning. The guy owns a gun. He may or may not deal drugs. So he gets his gun now, but he goes to the door and, uh, you know, with his with his gun, but he goes to the door and he opens the door and he sees this this figure there and he jumps back and the cop, it turns out it's a cop at the door. The cop, instead of saying, you know, hey, what are you doing? Uh, hey, you know, it, it's the police. He never identified himself as a police officer. The cop opens fire, shoots him six times, kills him. Just like that. The 11th Circuit Court ruled that the cop had immunity in that situation. And their main argument, I guess, was that there was no precedent before this case to say that the cop was liable for shooting this man or that he did anything wrong. So what's your take on this? So I, uh, so backing up a little bit, it's, it is, I, so I sat and I read the opinion this, this afternoon and mm-hmm. I read the, uh, the dissents too. And, um, and I will read the dissent, uh, after you, after you're done. Yeah, I'll read, read, the, dissent yeah, read the dissent. They're, they're good. But, um, it's, first of all, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, when I first read it, I thought, "Wow, this is a doozy." Um, yeah. it, it, the, the, obviously, the 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 victim uh, should never have been shot. That's 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 plain. It's painfully obvious. Uh, the question is, was it was it a lawful shooting? And and I think that a lot of people, when they look at these issues, they this issue, um, they think the question is the same. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, it's not because the Fourth Amendment only protects you from unreasonable searches and seizures. So you can be shot in a situation when you shouldn't have been because you didn't actually pose a threat to an officer. But if it was a reasonable shoot, or which would be a reasonable seizure under the Fourth Amendment, then it's still a lawful shooting. And I was kind of confusing. But what that basically means is the Fourth Amendment standard for re- a, a, a reasonable – when an officer fires his firearm, the Fourth Amendment standard is – would an officer in that person's situation and that officer's situation reasonably have perceived an immediate threat of serious bodily injury? So it's an objective standard, which is just, it can't be the officer subjectively just thought this. The question is, if any reasonable person was in there, would they have perceived a threat, basically? Mm-hmm. And so that is a, is a very malleable standard, and it's a standard that um, has no real precise lines and boundaries and it kind of you know it can it can be very frustrating for people who read cases like these for all of us who read cases like these and see you know where it goes so in this case uh like and you did a good job of summarizing the facts basically from from the officer's 
perspective, what happened is he was chasing a motorcycle that was going 90 or 100 miles an hour. He puts it out over the radio. The dispatcher tells him, oh, there's another motorcycle that we had just seen leaving some scene, and he was involved in an armed assault or battery with a firearm. So the officer's following him. He thinks it's the same motorcycle. Or it may be the same motorcycle, I should say. And then he loses the motorcycle. And then he ends up finding it at this kind of motel area. It looks like there's a picture in here. It looks like one of those, those kind of housing areas where you have kind of a bunch of townhouses. Mm-hmm. And so he shows up. He sees the motorcycle. He touches the motorcycle, and it's hot. And so he knows it's this. He 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 knows that he thinks it's the same motorcycle he had just seen, and he knows this person just parked it. And so it's parked in front of this guy's this one apartment, and so or a unit. And so then the other officers show up, and there's a second vehicle there also parked right in front of this unit, and they run the plates out. And the address comes back to some place I think that's out of state, but it was both to the same name. So they assumed that, hey, maybe this guy might be in this apartment. So they go up to the apartment, and this is what I have to say. The the thing that I find the most egregious in all this, which I think would have probably solved the whole thing, is they did not announce their police officers. They just knocked on the door, rattled rapped on the door a couple times. And they also believed that this this apartment was also singled out, I think, because it was the only one in the area that had its lights on. Mm. Um, so they knocked on it three times and then the, the, the guy inside, um, he, I think he was up playing vic, uh, video games with his girlfriend or something. He right, hears this yeah. rapping. Yeah. And this is like one in the morning too. So he thinks it's strange and he goes and he gets his pistol and he opens the door. And according to the officer, uh, what happened is the guy had it, the gun was pointed at the ground, the, the victim's gun was pointed at the ground. And he looked at the officer, and then he kind of pied back behind the door. Probably what he's doing is he saw the silhouette of the officer and didn't know what it was. Maybe he saw someone with a gun, and so he backed away from it. Right. The so officer, I'm sure the guy had his right. gun drawn. Otherwise, he wouldn't yes. react that way. They did have their guns drawn. The right. police did have their guns drawn. So he backs behind the door, and the officer says he sees the gun, sees the guy kind of back behind the door. He mistakes it or believes that the guy's trying to get behind the door to get a position advantage on him. So he fires, like you said, like the six rounds, the guy and kills the guy. So there's kind of two issues here um, that the court uh, is addressing one. And the first issue is really the kind of the, the, the root of it. It's the fourth amendment issue. Is this a reasonable shoot or not? And the majority said it was, and it was because the officer had reasoned first of all, reasonably the person inside the house was armed because they thought it'd be reasonable for him to think that the person associated with the mo- and, and, and and for the record should say the kid was not who was shot was not the guy with the motorcycle he yeah. was off somewhere I, they don't even talk about where he is he obviously is somewhere around but they know they don't talk about what happened with him but he this guy is totally unrelated to this um but the court basically said that because they they, they pursued this motorcycle there um they had reason to believe that there was a suspect in that house with a via, with the arm with, with sorry with with a pistol um, that they approached it. They were allowed to you know obviously contact the house and that when they saw he, the officer saw the firearm in his hand and saw him move back, it was reasonable for him to think that that was an effort for him to try to you know get behind and start engaging the officer. You know whether uh, 
factually, whether you agree with that or not, I think that's one of these things that people can talk about ad nauseum around, whether it's reasonable for an officer to think that or not. I, I think this case was a five to six. It was an 11 panel yeah. judge. So yeah, it was, there was really only one close. dissent, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the issue, and the dissenting judge hits on the issue that the, the thing that bothers me the most about it, and because I, I can understand the officer thinking, okay, uh, I saw a gun, the guy jumped back and yeah, and saying, I thought I was in danger. I don't agree with it, but I can see somebody thinking that. Um, but I will uh, you know, uh, <laughs> disagree with his actions and always say, well, you should have still yelled something or just ducked out of the way because you're outside right. the door. Why don't you just back away and get out of the, the way, the firing line and say, hey, put your gun down instead of just shooting a guy. But right. the dissenting judge, here's what he said said, we have never before held the police can, without justification, provoke a panic, and then hide behind it by claiming that everything happened fast. And that's what I, that's my biggest problem, is that these, this officer or officers, they were the provocators of this incident. They, at one thirty in the morning, if you're banging on someone's door, do you not expect them to react in this way? And we see this all across the spectrum of all of these drug busts. Where they're busting in people's houses at four in the morning and somebody pulls in, like, pulls out a gun after their door is kicked in and starts shooting. And then the cops say, oh, well, you're going to jail forever because you shot a cop. And you're like, well, what the fuck would you do? Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, you know, and I, and I, you know, I, I, uh, and, and for, for your listeners, I used to, for my professional background, I used to represent police officers in criminal and administrative. And that's and, why I and, wanted uh, to, that's yeah. why I wanted to discuss yeah. this case with you. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, these, these issues I've, I've, I've dealt with professionally for a long time. And I think when I was reading through the facts and I got to the part where he didn't announce himself at the door, I thought, Oh, that's a problem yeah. because like you said, they did, they did. They, well, the, the police are allowed to do their job, of course. Like they're allowed to take this seriously. They're, we want police to go out and do and, and and try to apprehend criminal suspects when 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 reasonable. Um, and so, I don't have a problem with them necessarily contacting the kid. Um, I call him a kid. I think he was in his early twenties, <laughs> sixty-five year yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, he's probably yeah. <laughs> but I think he was. A, I think he was a kid. Yeah. Um, but I I was shocked that they didn't that that wasn't really more of an issue in the analysis because to me. Like I, like you said, I, I actually believe the officer would have, been, and you have to say you have to give deference to, and in the in the in the, the court, the Supreme Court opinion that kind of sets the standards for police use of force is called Graham versus Connor, and it actually says in it there's a there's a line that says you have to give deference to the fact that the officers are making split second decisions out there in the field, mm-hmm. but. And, and so I, I, I trust the officer actually did, or I believe the officer actually did perceive that threat in that second. But I, I, I agree with you in the sense that I, I'm troubled that he didn't um, announce that he's a police officer when he knocked on the door. And I don't really know why. Because if you also catch when you read the facts, and the, I thought this was very bizarre too, in his deposition, he actually said that he didn't, he didn't, ex, he didn't treat the guy as a suspect at the time. And I thought, that they're just kind of con- yeah read the facts he, he says that i think they're con- he, well, i think what he meant was it came out weird i have to see what more of the record said but i think what he meant was i didn't know for sure that was the guy but i thought he might be connected because of the motorcycle and everything but uh i'm thinking why, why are you not announcing your police yeah, either officer? way i don't i don't you know? care if you're just coming by to give me a cookie i still yeah, want you to yeah. say hey it's the police don't worry i'm just giving you a cookie Right, right. So, so anyway, so the, the, the so there's kind of two parts to this case, right? So the the dissent says that they first they say no, it's it's good because it's a reasonable shoot, 
But second, you then but that there's a second issue that let's say they and they kind of do this really just for ac- academically because they didn't have to address this at all once they found that the shooting was good because of the Fourth Amendment. But then they go into the qualified immunity issue. Um, and for people who don't know what qualified immunity is, it's it is a it's a it's a theory that is it's a court made theory uh, that is a defense for government actors and for uh, for city governments or for any kind of government to protect themselves from liability when they are being sued for a viol- for a statutory or constitutional violation that is not that has not yet been clearly defined. So and the, and the purpose of it basically is to try to limit frivolous lawsuits against local or against government entities and to kind of permit government actors to go out and kind of do their job without having to worry about them kind of accidentally falling into like, like a gotcha violation. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's the reason why we have it. But, uh, and, and so they, it, it's, but it's, it's, they, they, they basically go into the dissent basically says they shouldn't be, they should never be given qualified immunity because you know, we have all these cases that talk about, you know, it's cl- clearly going up and knocking at someone's door and shooting them without a threat is <laughs> yeah. is is a clearly established right. <laughs> and the uh, and the and the majority says, well, you know, there's this line of jurisprudence that says it has to be to be clearly defined. It has to be much more general that than that. So the question is not just going up and shooting shooting him. It's it, it would would going up to the door and mistaking someone holding their firearm when they're lawful when the, when they have it lawfully in their home um and you and you mistake it and you mistake that for a threat is that a uh, clearly defined right in other words you know that people can have firearms in their home if someone answers the firearm if answers the door with a firearm but it's not pointed at you can an officer perceive that as a threat um and you know, the majority says they can. The minority, the dissent says no. But it really, it's all that's. It, it's kind of been presented as a qualified immunity case, but it's really not because they decided that it was uh, lawful on the Fourth Amendment issue. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like it's weird that they even bothered throwing it in there. Um, I think this is tend to be one of those things where these judges are trying to just get academic with each other, and and there's really no point to it. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I don't, I don't know why they even addressed it. Because if they, if the judicial if masturbation, that, is what you're right? Well, about. basically, because because <laughs> you only get to the qualified immunity question if you think that the the sh- the, the shoot was bad, right? So if you say, yeah, so you could have you could have said this, um, yeah, uh, it's clearly a constitutional violation to go up to someone's house, knock on the door, they answer it with a gun, and to shoot them, uh, but because that we've never before held that that was. The officer's qualified immunity. Yeah. That's the only way that it should could have come into effect in a substantive way. But since the majority said it was a good on the first question, the the qualified immunity doesn't really matter. So I don't know mm. why they even went there. But mm. yeah, interesting. Yeah, because it's like because I know that it, one of the takeaways from this case was that it's you know this was an opportunity to set a precedent. If they had ruled that you can't just go up and, you know, without announcing yourself, shoot somebody that it could now be used for future cases. But now there's no, you know, there's still nothing out there. So the next time this happens, probably, the, you know, the same thing could very well happen where the same decision will be made because, again, there's no precedent. <laughs> it's precedent almost going. There. Well, yeah, it is because of some weird way that they they heard this. It's not precedent. But if anything, it would be precedent going the other way against the, the plaintiff because they said the Fourth Amendment issue was they rolled in the favor of the officer. <laughs> so, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So now yeah. it's like, 
Yeah. Th- thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so don't. So kids, if you're listening to this, do not answer the door with a gun in your hand. Yeah, don't answer the gun armed. <laughs> ha- give the gun to your girlfriend. Tell her to pause. Tell her instead yeah. of, you know, like when every time you're playing a video game together, uh, one person pauses it and you unpause and then you fuck them up uh, while they're not looking. Uh, instead of that, give your girlfriend the gun and tell her to keep it on the door while you answer. <laughs> there you go. The more you know. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. No, I appreciate the breakdown of that case. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's just so troubling. I think we covered it pretty well. But let's move in because you know I said a lot of this happens. The circumstances around this case, I don't know the, this specific one may not have been, but a circumstance a lot around a lot of police going to houses in the middle of the night and kicking down the doors and arresting people is centered around the drug war, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. And up, oh, up, oh, someone's getting pulled. Hold on, we're gonna live vlog that we're live podcasting this. Some guy just got pulled over on the side of the road. I'm watching. I'm watching the cops pull over right outside my house. Is it's he exciting. manhandling him out of the car? Hold on, the cops. The cops are out of the car. They're approaching the vehicle. It's a Nissan SUV. He's asking for a. Uh, I don't know. He's telling him. He say, "What do you?" He looks like she might have ran a red light. They're beating the hell out of her. <laughs> no, none of that's happening. I'm closing the window. Again. <laughs> I think you're embellishing this story. Uh, maybe I, the LAPD has never been in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> they never. Sh- they never uh, put 26 <laughs> bullets into two Korean women in the, in a truck because it looked like some out of the truck. <laughs> um, okay, moving on. That was a that was a fun little side. I'm gonna keep my eyes though. I'm gonna keep my eyes on him. If there's any uh, brutality, we'll 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 come back in a live news break. Even though this is gonna air two days from now. Um, okay, <laughs> moving back on to what I was talking about. So anyway, centered on the drug war, and that brings me up to the next topic I wanted to talk about is Jeff Sessions and basically this drug war 2.0, which is not really a 2.0, but it is a uh, a big rescindment of Obama era era policies on the drug war, wherein, you know, I did not like Eric Holder. In fact, I hated Eric Holder. But the one thing I did like about Eric Holder and one of the few things I did like about Obama was they decided they were not going to try to prosecute drug crimes, especially for nonviolent drug offenders when it came to, you know, like the mandatory minimums, which who put into place uh, a lot of mandatory minimums and a lot of the uh, the three strike rule. Uh, who? The Clintons. Yes, the Clintons. Uh, anyway, moving on. But Jeff Sessions seems to want to harken back to the Clinton time. And he wants to put in the most uh, harsh penalties for people, to, no matter if they're nonviolent drug offenders, no matter what, you know, if this it, rinky-dink bullshit, he wants to really sick it to people when they are in court for drug offenses. So what do you think about that? Um. <laughs> I don't know what the, politically what he's thinking. Uh, I because I, I, you know I'd be interested to see. First of all, there's the obvious issues, right? With uh, you know this is a, this is a policy that I think has no real net good for society because you're just putting people away who incarceration should be something that is is a punishment that is used for a very specific class of criminal right someone that needs to be removed from society right. for a specific period of time because they're dangerous because they've committed a very egregious crime um but pe- people who don't people who are not engaging in that kind of behavior which i think drug crimes they're victimless crimes clearly that that they don't fit the fit the bill and i think i remember reading i don't know if it's an article that we sent before the show or a different article but i think sessions's general uh, explanation for it is this kind of outdated idea that it's almost this minority report idea that 
you know, it's kind of like where there's drugs, there's guns. And yeah. it's, you know, if you put away the drug offenders, they're more likely than any, than the population at large to, um, to, uh, uh, commit violent crimes, and I have no idea the, what the statistics on that are true <laughs> or not. But it's almost irrelevant to me well, because they, you don't punish people for things they didn't do. Right? You punish exactly. people for things they, they did do. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, 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 it's 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 extremely troubling. And I also what, one thing I was thinking about this too is, you know, this country has an opioid crisis going on right now, and uh, you know, quote the, unquote, the, quote unquote, crisis, quote right, unquote, well, crisis. Whether or not, but you know, this is something that will affect your 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 you know. You, it's ever it's obviously something that will affect uh, people of color disproportionately, but it, oh, it yeah. still has a huge effect on on your 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 Trump supporting folk. And I'm wondering yeah. what they're thinking. I mean, it'll probably disproportionately affect Trump Trump land than it will uh, you know the suburban California. So what I don't know really what the what the real. <laughs> Um, end game is for this. It seems it seems like it's bad policy. It's bad politics. It's it's and it's, and it's ignoring yeah. all of any. You know, I it was crazy because I had, uh, before he even went out on this tangent, I had, I've been railing against Jeff Sessions because a few weeks ago, all these the polls came back and the majority of Americans, something like sixty percent of Americans at this point, are in favor of just legalizing it overall. You know, yeah. just yeah. legalize it. And Jeff Sessions was on record being like, you know, I just. I just don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get where people are coming from, you know? And it's like, well, you're, cause you're a, you're an old dipshit, you know, like your, your, your time has passed. Like it was of all the appointments Trump made, this is the most puzzling to me. And the guy, clearly he doesn't care about public opinion because this goes against all public opinion and all progress that's going on. And yeah, like you said, I mean, I love that you just said you're, you're penalizing people for, for what you're uh, you're projecting onto them their future and you're penalizing that and it's idiotic especially in the context of you know you look at the impact on minority communities and you say like okay well you know people you know a lot of these people they're uh, they're more inclined to be violent drug offenders blah, blah blah but also at the same time I mean, the drug arrests are up in these minority communities and the poor communities that are more into drugs but what people don't like to realize is that at the same time all those arrest statistics are like really uh, pumped up by the fact that the communities that this is happening are also policed at like 12 to 50 times the rate that every other community is policed at. So of course you're going to have more arrest rates. In fact, they're probably fairly low. I mean, I would say they're probably lower than other communities because those people are on the lookout even. (laughs) But you've got got 50 (laughs) cop cars driving around every day because they're trying to police it. Of course, there's going to be more arrests. Of course, there's going to be more drug arrests in these areas. It's it's a symptom. It's like, is it is it a symptom of of the disease or is it the cause of the disease is the government, you know, and the government involvement in all this? I think uh, I read a I read today that there's a uh, it was a 538 article, but it was it was an old one that ran a couple of years ago. But I, even during Obama's presidency, when they were trying to cut down on this, there's about 200,000 people in the federal prison system, and 48% of them are people whose main offense, most serious offense, is a drug offense. Yeah, that's insane. Yep, and and <laughs> and the majority nonviolent. Yeah, you're just uh, putting people in jail for giving people a product they want, or using a product that they want, or that they might need. And then you look at all the research too into veterans. I talk about this all the time. Veterans, the rate of suicide in veterans is astounding, and 
when you get them, you you introduce marijuana use, medical marijuana, that rate drops precipitously. And even to the point where like MDMA is being used as a lot of therapeutic. And you'd see these people that would be dead and they're alive because of this drug. But, you know, let's instead of letting people that would, you know, instead of stopping suicide rates and letting people enjoy it, let's incarcerate people at a world high rate instead. Right. Yeah. It's, and I think too, especially for coming back to, I just don't understand the end game, especially if you are a traditional conservative or Republican like Jeff Sessions or a libertarian where you believe in small or no government or limited government. When you have a system like this, that, uh, that incarcerates as many people as possible for the longest period of time, the unintended or intended uh, consequences of that are you have to increase dependency on government programs and yep. the state from the people who depended upon that person right who exactly. now are, so you know this if this person has a child or uh you know that that child is now only a one parent or, or no parent uh and uh when this person gets out if they've been incarcerated from the time oh, they're yeah, 20 like to getting 30, a job yeah, they're not going to get a job. They're yep. not going to get any training. They're not, you know, you're going to have more people who are filling up the uh, bread lines uh, who could otherwise have been productive members of society. That's why I think our, your punishment, we were we were going. It, it, there was a lot of bipartisan um, support for this movement away from mandatory minimums, away from the long sentences, because I think people started to realize the societal cost of this was way more. Um, uh, well, way outweighed any of the benefits of trying to uh, lower kind of these the violence that allegedly is connected to drug crimes, and yeah. um, and now this seems to just completely derail that. You know, and it's, yeah, it's no, like exactly. I said, I just don't get it. The bat, the end game is just it, it escapes me. Yep, so, but exactly. like you said, he's he's an old fossil. I think when he when I hear him talk, I do think about this. I feel like I'm in the Reagan presidency. It's like the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, man. It's just, yeah, it, it it does. It, it's shocking that people can't seem to see, and it's, you could tell when people are just on a crusade based upon their own bullshit. Because you, yeah, the long game, and like you said, how it plays out in society is shark, and people are, er, shark is stark. People always talk about too, you know the. The rate of uh, absenteeism fatherhood in, in the black community is very high. And again, a lot of that is based on exactly what you're talking about, that these guys, you know, a lot of people are being put away and a lot of them just, you know, they, they are breaking up family units. And then, yeah, what are you going to do when you come out? Not much. It's a system yeah. that it's like it's like a cyclical system wherein they're just fostering dependency on the government. And uh, and for what? You know, for, for people using something they want to use, you know, they're not hurting anybody for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's it's. Um, I think this is probably the most. Um, I don't know. I might. I might. I might, I might regret what I'm going to say here because do so it. Many, it's a life of liberty. It's a life of liberty, man. This podcast is <laughs> built on regretting things. Only regret because I just can't. I have to think of so many. But this might be the most destructive <laughs> thing that I think that uh, the new administration has done that I can think of. Well, I, yeah, I think it's it's yeah. it's interesting you say that because I I've had a lot of conversations with my uh, libertarian uh, brethren and we all unanimously we had asked we did like a roundup show with our uh, you know one of our Lions of Liberty uh, you know libertarians of living room drinking liquor shows but one of the topics at one point was what's the What's the worst thing right now? Like, what's the biggest threat to liberty? And I think almost unanimously, we said it's the war on drugs. Because 
not only of the immediate impact on people's liberties being thrown into a cage for using something that you want to, you know, you put in your body to feel better. Um, but not only that, but because of everything we've been talking about, that cascade effect throughout society and how it impacts everybody as from the first person to their family, to their business, all, all on down the line. And when you come out, just the impact that has on, on your ability to work and live and provide. I mean, it's just, it is unbelievable the impact it has on us. And you know what? It's all that son of a bitch Nixon's fault because he started it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you go to get, get a job and you fill out the thing that says, uh, have you ever been convicted of the little box that says you're convicted yeah. of a felony? Yeah. I mean, if I'm an employer and I saw just that, I would think, wait, okay, wait, well, what'd he do? Did he, right, did he, right. but I don't did think, he shoot can, somebody can or did he just ask that or not? Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Can you legally ask that as an employer? What the felony uh, was? I don't know if you can, I don't know if it, if it's legally or not. I know I that. Know uh, either. I don't know either. I th- I, I'm, I'm curious to see if you can ask somebody about their felony or not, because I know there's a lot of weird things you can't ask people about when mm. you're hiring them. I'm assuming you could in the sense that I don't think that's like a protected class thing. Yeah, or, maybe not. But also, and also, of course, let's not forget too the secondary aspect of this is that once you are arrested for these things, once you have a felony conviction, whether or not it's for owning two grams of, of uh, marijuana or not, you also can't possess a firearm and you can't vote. Yeah, that's just. <laughs> well, let's not forget that. So, yeah. so let's remember how many people are in jail for felony drug crimes. Like half the prison population, they're now not eligible to vote either. <laughs> so they ain't changing any drug laws. Yeah, no, it's it's like I said, it's it's um, I I have nothing I have nothing to say other than uh, it's a pretty bad idea, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're almost at an hour now. This, this has been fun. It was just like rambling yeah. on. All right, let me think. What all right, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, we'll talk about one of two things because because uh, I don't want to go too past over an hour here. But do you want to talk about James Comey firing and the uh, the recent? I don't know if you heard about this, but now there's apparently Trump was threatening something about releasing tapes, tapes about recording. Yeah. Or do you want to talk about Hillary Clinton's new Onward Together political action committee? I leave it up. Uh, I leave it in your hands. Let's talk about Comey. I think that's more. I have more to say about that than than Hillary trying to be relevant. Still, uh, I agree. Hillary <laughs> would have been a short conversation. Me just being like, "Why? Just go away. Uh, yeah. Go away, I, Grandma. You smell I, like pee. Yeah. Nobody wants you around." Uh, I just hope that Chelsea doesn't get the torch. Uh, Jesus, I, you know what, man? I, I, if she does, I don't know if you've been reading a lot of Chelsea Clinton stuff, but she is honestly like, look, I, Hillary Clinton. I really dislike her, but she's not stupid. Chelsea Clinton is dumb as a wet brick. She yeah, Chelsea Clinton just dumb. yeah, I read her Twitter every now and then because she well she just she just says the most vapid progressive <laughs> stuff that she can think of that she probably read in a slate article. Oh and yeah, then she exactly. Eats it right, you know exactly. What, what do my Twitter followers want me to hear or want me to <laughs> right. say? I'll say that. You know, so she's just so pedestrian <laughs> right yeah exactly like she would be the least inspiring and if they, the the democratic party could do itself no bigger disservice than running her out at this point in time yeah and i think they probably will because i think they're they're i i part of the reason why i call myself a conservative democrat now too is because i think that uh they're 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 going towards the progressive slash justice democrat route yeah. oh yeah i think that's clearly the writing in the wall that is that that's the future and uh um you know, uh, Hillary doesn't doesn't fit into that equation in any way. I don't know. I don't know how she possibly can. You know, no. I mean, she, 
I mean, like, <laughs> when you when you're protecting your husband against uh, all the women, you know, standing up for him despite the fact that he's uh, finger banged seventeen women right. in the bathroom of the Oval <laughs> Office. Right. Well, and, and, and the Clintons came into power because they ran on a platform that was we are conservative Democrats. Yeah. Right. You know, that was their their entire political legacy is because of that. You know. Yeah. And so to to run away from it is kind of like oh, uh, you know. Oh, it was um, so funny. Yeah, like we're going off on this. Last thing, and then we'll get to coming. Uh, I just thought it was so funny though during the election when I'm you know talking to all these Democrats, especially you know, like a lot of uh, women that are really progressive that I know that are super. Hillary Clinton supporters, and I bring up the fact that I'm like, well, what do you think about the fact that you know she was vehemently against gay marriage? Uh, what do you think about the, <laughs> the fact that she's defending Bill Clinton and, and slandering women after you know uh, the allegations? What do you think about the fact that they they you know put all these drug laws that have put black people basically made black people second class citizens because of the effects of them? And they're like, that never happened. I'm like, mm. oh You're yeah, not a student <laughs> of history. Like I, that that's a true story, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember talking about the super predators comment and the yeah. and the uh, well. You know, hey, here's here, here's a great little. What, someone would go into Comey. Here's the great thing for our dear leader Donald Trump. He is yep. the only American president to assume office while being in favor of gay marriage. <laughs> I know, right? It's that, yes. And then, anyway, you see the marches. There were marches out there with all these people with gay pride pride. I can't even speak right now. Gay pride flags, and they're like, "Fuck Donald Trump!" And I'm like. He's yeah, like he's the only president in history yeah. that was pro gamer. Hillary Clinton's, by the way, not. She wasn't. She might say she's she's not. Like I just, it just it, it, it's like when you see these. That's like that. That's a progressive thing, though. It's like people get wrapped up in this in this overarching umbrella of uh, of thought, like this group think, and they can't think for themselves. Like all these people that I know that were gay, I'd see them anti Trump shit, and I'm like. He, he's on your side, man. Like, I mean, come on. Barack Obama, when he took office, was not pro-gay marriage. That only happened because he smelled the way the wind was blowing. Trump's been yeah. pro- Trump's been pro-gay marriage for like 20 years. He smelled the way the wind was blowing, and Joe Biden accidentally outed him on uh, – wasn't that what <laughs> – didn't what? Joe Biden – didn't Joe Biden – it wasn't like Joe Biden made some comment like, yeah, we're in favor of gay marriage before Obama had said it. And Bob, Obama it was like, out. what, 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 Joe? <laughs> Yeah, and then Joe Obama's like, "Damn it, Joe!" <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's true. I got to look that up now. Look that up. Yeah, I need to find out. Yeah, I I to find out. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So let's get to Comey. Um, okay, so just before anything, uh, what do you think about Trump firing uh, Comey or Comey? Think, Is it Comey or Comey? I don't even. I know. think it's Comey. That's how I, that's how Comey? I say it in my head. So I hope that's right. Comey. Yeah. Um, I, I I would I would refer to Hanlon's razor, which is never attribute to evil, which you can attribute to incompetence. <laughs> and I think I think that that applies really well here because I think that you know as soon as he was fired, well before he was fired, I don't think anybody thought that he was a good FBI director because of how he mishandled right. the Clinton investigation. Yeah, right? You, I you think should never, as an FBI that. director, you should have never in a million years said publicly that you're investigating a, a case before there's any allegations made that I, and then and then when he when he went to the clinton uh when he went and gave that speech to con- or the testimony to congress i think he he asserted that you know no charges will be filed which is not really the fbi's purview that's the doj's right, purview. exactly yeah but, exactly know, it was he became prosecutor and a chief investigator i mean he he made some missteps that you know, where the bottom line is everybody didn't like this guy, thought he was incompetent. And if he's incompetent then or not right for the job, then he was not right for the job last week. Yeah. Um, so 
uh, it, but this this you know this hysteria comes out that well you know I can think that but also think that he's doing this because he's he's getting too close to the Russia egg I guess which I thought which I think find so bizarre <laughs> because I, uh, on the one hand we don't know there's no evidence what is this there there there's is no there still there nothing there's no evidence there if there was any evidence do you not think someone would have leaked it by now something would have happened by now it's it, it this this obsession the left has with this russia connection it boggles my mind cuz you know what look trump's got so many other things that you could go after why are they i i guess cuz they feel like they could still possibly impeach him or say that the election was rigged and i i i just i don't get it uh, they would have to have something so overwhelming to get a Republican uh, House to right. impeach and a Republican Senate to convict him. Uh, it's just I don't. It's just insane. But so there's no evidence that we're aware of yet. And like I like you said, yeah, if there was something with this White House, it I think it would have been leaked by now. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, people are screaming Watergate and Nixon, and I'm <laughs> and again even with that, I'm thinking you would think with Nixon was when Nixon had the Saturday Night Massacre. The the thing about his tapes, and there was already evidence of misconduct that was out in the public. People knew the tapes existed. That was the point. And right. then he was trying to fire these guys to make sure he didn't <laughs> out. This is not like that because there's no tapes that were well, – well, there are tapes apparently that he talked about, but there's no – He alleged no – yeah, to, just to, to yeah. clarify that comment so people know if they're listening. So allegedly, yeah, Trump says there's tapes of conversations between him and Comey, which I get – I mean – Again, it's illegal to tape someone without their permission, but uh, when you're the president and uh, he's the head of the FBI, I guess you figure everything's taped anyway. So, whatever. right. So, well, so, you know, it's this, there's, there's no evidence there for us to think that he was close to it. And then, but then to, to beyond that, um, the idea, so two, the idea that, you know, just because Comey's gone, that the FBI investigation is going to end. That the Senate's investigation is going to end, the House of Representatives investigation is going to end, that all these investigations are going to stop because Comey's not there. Even if he finds some patsy to replace him, those investigations are still going to go forward. There's no way. Yeah, no, it's just going to stop. Well, I think so, the real fear on the left is that now that Comey is gone, I mean, arguably Comey protected Hillary Clinton is, I think, what they're worried about. And I think now they're worried that if somebody else takes over, they might say, well, maybe we should revisit this because Comey also said, oh, there's nothing in the uh, the uh, emails to that were found on Michael Wiener's computer that could ind- you know, indict Hillary uh, as to any sort of. Uh, violation of the, I, I don't know what it's called, but whatever. They, they, yeah. She couldn't get in trouble. Is that what he said? And I, I'm worried that I think the left is saying like, now that's why they're, they're saying, oh, this is insane. The Watergate is because they're worried that now Hillary Clinton might get thrown back onto the pyre and burned. Well, may, maybe. I, I, I tend to think that that's, they're genuinely freaking out about Trump because that's just the M.O. of the of the day. But maybe the actual people in Washington think that. But well, they're I, calling authority. Yeah. They're like, oh, authoritarianism. Yeah. Like, well, the president's always had the power to fire the FBI director. I don't know what you guys <laughs> right. are talking about. <laughs> right. But I, I think it's you know, I think it's very simple what happened here because people were like, well, why now? What's the timing? You know, why didn't you do this before? Et cetera, et cetera. Nothing makes sense. And I think it's it's. To me, it's very simple. If you remember the letter that he sent out when he fired him, the first line or the second line in it was, thank you for telling me on three separate occasions that I am not under investigation or I'm cleared or whatever, however yeah, you phrase it. Yeah. Right? He clearly wanted that statement out in public. <laughs> yeah. So, and we know that Trump's an egomaniac. We know that he's not – he has no experience in government. 
and we know that he's not despite kind of being able to read the crowd and, and obviously he won the election so he he knows he knows enough about uh, you know the power of persuasion and everything mm-hmm. but i still think politically he is an extreme novice because they make so many own goals i mean every chance they get it seems like he's getting an own goal yeah yeah you know? So uh, I think you add those factors up, and then also there's these there's these stories about how he had this dinner with Comey, and Comey he wanted Comey to either publicly go out and say he wasn't under investigation, or to or to give him his loyalty, and Comey refused to do it. So I think if you add those things up, it's Trump was mad because Comey wouldn't come out and and defend him in public, mm-hmm. and so Trump said this guy's got to go because you know no one crosses me, and and I think it's that simple. And so then they ask, uh, was it Rosenstein, the, the deputy uh, DOJ, they're asking to write up some memo to kind of justify it objectively mm-hmm. well, based on a basis that everyone agreed with anyway. And then that he kind of used that as cover to, to, to get rid of him. And then, and then Rosenstein, when he kind of became the fall guy, got mad about it. And so then the truth came out. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's all that is. And so now they're going to – it'll be interesting to see who gets repla- – who replaces him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, – Charles Krauthammer uh, suggested having him appoint Merrick Garland, which would be hilarious. I I'll, I actually support that 100%. I think it would be the greatest political move ever because if Trump so if Trump put Merrick Garland in there, it would be one of those things where the left be so mad, but they couldn't say anything. Look, I have I have long consisted that uh, Trump, you know, he may be an idiot. But he's not a fool, and right. he plays. I will say, I I can't I can't ignore the the fact that the man is president, uh, and he got there through manipulation. He got there through playing the game. He he clearly look. You can't become president if you're an idiot. And people underestimated George W. Bush in the same yeah. way. George W. Bush, uh, for all the ways people look at him, is not an idiot. He yeah. he may be a fool, but not an idiot. Trump's the opposite. Trump is an idiot, but not a fool. Well, but, that kind of just goes to the broader of liberals think dem- liberals think conservatives are all stupid, and conservatives think liberals are all crazy. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> man, <laughs> exactly. And but Trump, he's playing. He plays a game, and I'm convinced of this now. I was very skeptical, of it, but he plays a game that he is looking very, very far ahead, and I I give him credit for that. I don't agree with what he's doing. But, um, but shit, man, the guy, is, he keeps making moves. He keeps getting away with it. Well, so what do you think the, the story behind the Comey uh, termination is? I think he legitimately, uh, I think Trump actually does want to put Hillary behind bars. I believe that. I think he does want to, do, I think he thinks Comey is not going to do it. I think he wants to find somebody that he can put in place where as soon as it came out, where Comey said, all right, yeah, three, you know, like you said, three separate reasons or three separate times, not under, uh, not an investigation. He said, perfect. Let you go. I'm going to bring somebody in that's going to re-examine this Hillary Clinton thing and put her behind bars. Cause I, cause you know, again, she said some shitty shit. He wants to keep that promise, especially in light of the fact that the wall is not going to happen. So he can yeah. say, he can crow about making good on that promise to go after Hillary. So he's going to put somebody else in place. He's going to go after Hillary, which is going to be pretty easy to do. And, He'll have somebody that's a little bit more aligned with him in uh, in that position. So I think it's for if if I if you're Trump, the wailing backlash because because here's the thing too we, we I shouldn't say we 
the liberal media has put Trump in a position. And I was talking this with a, a friend of mine, a colleague on the way home today. The liberal media has put Trump in a position where they have essentially built a suit of armor around him because they constantly talk about how horrible he is and how much of a shithead he is and all this crazy stuff that's going on. But the thing is, they don't realize is that when you cry wolf that often and that consistently, all you're doing is layering armor onto the man where his base now, because there's been so much like the late night comedians and I mean, everybody on Facebook nonstop, the comedians nonstop, every late night show, every talk show, uh, yeah. slandering Trump, going after him. They are just putting a suit of armor around him where his base has now tuned it out completely. So even when he does something that is really fucked up, that's just going to bounce off. And these people don't realize that by being such partisan hacks, they've made him basically invulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, <laughs> you know, being a comedian yourself, I mean, isn't the, I, I, I cannot stand watching all these night, these, uh, every single comic. It's the same. They jokes. have to make, yeah, it's the same joke. And, you, and I'm like, well, it's just the low hanging fruit, man. Well, oh, it's right. a Trump joke. Oh my God. You're so funny. That's the thing. Look, you know? comedy, look, comedy ain't funny. If I know the punchline before you say the punchline. Everybody right, knows yeah. the punchline. You know, it's yeah. like with Trump, you know the goddamn punchline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. If people are just like, I like hearing the same joke over again because it validates me. They do, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, progressives do. They like they laugh every time, they, and they laugh like this. They go because <laughs> they they need you to know they agree. <laughs> yeah. All right, this is a good place to wrap it up, man. I'm gonna, let me good, man. let me let me uh, tell everybody where to find this. So, guys, again, you can find the show notes for this episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ell19. I want to remind everybody to uh, listen to Mark on Mondays with the in-depth interviews on uh, libertarianism and uh, libertarian leaders. Me on Wednesdays, John Odermatt with Felony Fridays. Again, follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. If you want to support the podcast, please go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. We've got awesome uh, stuff there. Uh, there's also t-shirts you can buy at lionsofliberty.store. And... That's it. I don't really anything else to say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's Join the Facebook forum of which Steven is a member. You'll see me there. Yeah. He's, he's there. You can find him. You can, with, you can yeah. yell at him with pithy commentary. So. <laughs> pithy, pithy to the nth degree. So, uh, yeah, Steven, man, hey, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really glad to have you on the show. I'll definitely have you back. This was, uh, oh, this likewise, time flew by. Blast. I hope the Thank audience you. agrees, but uh, I hope so too. If not, <laughs> screw them. We don't need those guys. Yeah. Screw this audience. Bunch of jerk offs. All right, guys. So from me, from Stephen, from Lions of Liberty, and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.